Welcome to Off Trail Learning. This is Blake Bowles. If you've listened to this podcast, you probably know that Not Back to School Camp played a huge role in my life. In 2006, I started working there as an advisor to teenage homeschoolers and unschoolers, and it totally transformed me. I thought, these teens are so cool to work with, I have to do this full time. And so in 2008, I started Unschool Adventures so I could work with these kinds of teenagers in the rest of the year, not just for a couple weeks at the end of each summer. We also did a previous interview with Grace Llewellyn, who's the founding director and current executive director of Not Back to School Camp, and that was a bit more about the history behind camp and the big picture. In this episode, I interview Matt Sanderson, who was a session director uh, for two sessions of camp this year, and he was a director last year also. And we talk more about the nitty-gritty of Not Back to School Camp, the ins and outs Uh, what the daily life is like for campers and for staffers like Matt. Whether you're thinking about joining this camp, you have a kid who's interested in it, or you're just curious about this little wild world of unschooling and this very specific summer camp that works with teenagers who don't go to school, uh, you will have a lot to gain from this episode. Now, without further ado, I bring you Matt Sanderson. Blake Bowles. Ooh, you nailed it. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, who are you? What what role do you play in Not Back to School Camp? Yes. Uh, so this year and last year, I have been the session director for both our uh, Oregon Session 2, which is at Camp Myrtlewood, uh, and our Vermont Sessions of Camp. Uh, I've also been an advisor uh, the past couple of years uh, at our first session. Uh, and- what does it mean to be a session director? How is that different from just being the director of camp? So I direct a specific session of camp. Uh, Grace Llewellyn is our executive director and founder, uh, who you interviewed on a previous podcast. Uh, and so she still uh, does a lot of like the overarching directorial tasks, like hiring uh, and um, updating documents and policies, and, uh, and also directs uh, or has directed one session of camp the past few years. And is Evan still the director for session one in Oregon? Evan and Grace co-directed session one this past year. Okay, good. We got the formalities out of the way. For those who don't know much about not back to school camp and can't be bothered to go listen to the previous interview with Grace, (laughs) let's give them a little bit of a picture of what not back to school camp is. So when you talk about this to people, how do you describe it? What's your elevator pitch? Yes. Uh, So Not Back to School Camp is a summer camp uh, for homeschoolers and unschoolers, I usually say, because people aren't as familiar with the term homeschooling or unschooling. They are familiar with the term homeschooling, uh, where we gather 50 to 100 campers in one place. And the majority of the time is spent uh, doing workshops of various types that are co-created by campers and staffers alike. Not bad. Uh, how is not back to school camp different from other summer camps? When you say summer camp, people yes. tend to think of a certain thing. So what makes camp different? Our camp. Yeah. So people think summer camp, they think like, uh, like canoeing and archery and, uh, and a structured experience for young people. Uh, sometimes they think of like a lot of competition. There's like summer camps with like, uh, crowns for various things. Uh, our camp is very different in that uh, it's 
it, it is structured in that like we have a schedule and we have workshops that are being offered by both staff and campers alike. Anyone can write their, their name and their workshop on the schedule. Uh, and the majority of the time is spent like choosing a workshop to go to or not choosing a workshop to go to, which is a major difference between our camp and most camps is that like most of the day campers could be doing whatever it is that they want to do. Uh, it's designed around unschooling and therefore like self-directed uh, learning and education and, and choice are a big part of camp. Uh, and we also have evening events uh, that are also optional, but mostly attended by all of our campers, which kind of give the structure to camp uh, around like having a common theme or experience uh, or group identity. Uh, and there are a couple of other mandatory things, but they're fairly minimal uh, and mostly designed to like help people connect with other folks within the camp environment and not designed to like give them a very specific experience that like camp does. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. So pretty much you only have to show up for two check-ins a day with, with meetings, check-ins and group meetings, and then mm -hmm. an advisee group each day. Correct. And yeah. really nothing else is mandatory. Yes, there are a couple things during the first couple days that are mandatory uh, that have uh, that have to do with orienting people to various things, uh, and people also are on work crews uh, that are mandatory. Oh, uh, that's right. Yes, those superhero teams. Nice branding. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so at other summer camps, I think there's often a lot of free choice between activities, but mm -hmm. in my experience, you have to choose to do something. You can't Correct. just hang out in your cabin. You can't lie in the field and have a conversation. It's like lots of choices, but you must choose. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the major difference. Uh, and that's kind of a lot of what makes it special are the spontaneous things that people end up doing. Uh, I mean, the workshops are great too, but like the spontaneous conversations, the hikes, the like, uh, the random, you know, at, at Vermont, we have about a hundred milk crates, uh, that just exist at camp and that are like endlessly being built into different, uh, shapes and, uh, formats. Uh, and that's like not a workshop. It's just something that happens all the time. Mm. Uh, and I think that's, that's part of where the magic comes in at camp. And you mentioned these optional evening activities, these mm. things that most people attend. And I think you did a pretty good job of downplaying those, uh, because <laughs> this is something I feel like when we talk about evening activities at summer camps, I think of, yeah. you know, a talent show with s'mores yeah. and there, there are talent shows not back to school camp, but there are these other activities. Can you, can you tell me more about those without giving anything big away? Because I feel like this is really unique to not back to school camp. Sure. And, and you said that I downplayed those and I, I did a little bit, uh, cause I would say like almost everyone attends almost all of them, but they are optional. Uh, and so there are definitely like there's a group of people that likes to skip like each almost each one of these except maybe closing ceremony that that pretty much everyone comes to every year. There is a small group of people that choose not to go and that it doesn't seem to affect their camp experience in a major negative way. Um, the major evening events that we have, uh, we have one called uh, Bonding Night, uh, which is just like it's uh, it's it's a bonding experience. There's a lot of hugging uh, of people that you don't necessarily know very well, and there's a lot of receiving hugs in a way that feels uh, um, just surprisingly personally connective. Uh, and a lot of people say that like camp doesn't start until after bonding night uh, because you haven't experienced that connection with everyone here at camp, that group bonding activity. Uh, we have an event called Seeing Scene, which is like a 
personal sharing event in which campers are uh, encouraged to share something with a group of campers, not the entire camp, but a group of campers that they might not normally share in everyday conversation. Uh, it gives everyone kind of a glimpse into uh, the, the things that people don't, uh, the things that don't get shared in traditional, like light surface conversation. Uh, it allows the group to kind of get to know each other on a deeper level. Uh, we do have the talent shows, uh, which are always fantastic, but we also have like specific talent show nights. So we have like talent shows, which are everything. And then we also have the art show, which is visual art and the concert, which is uh, like performing musicians, performing original songs. And we also have movie nights uh, where we have like user submitted films from the group. Uh, so we have a variety of talent shows for different uh talents. Uh, and then we also have like a prom, which is like a, a dance. Um, and then we have a couple of wild card nights in our Oregon session, which is two weeks long and is our longest session. We have a couple of nights that are like something that we haven't necessarily pre-planned, but that uh, feels like it will be the right thing for the particular group that is at camp this session. Uh, and those are always delightful events. <laughs> what was one of the wild card nights this year? Yeah. Uh, it's hard to choose which one to talk about because they're both great. Uh, one of the wildcard nights this year was, uh, if you've ever seen the show Chopped, uh, it's a show on, uh, I think, Food Network? Or, I don't know. I don't have those channels. But it's, uh, it's a show in which chefs uh, are given ingredients that are like fairly non-traditional and uh, are given a short period of time to whip up a dish and then are judged by other professional chefs uh, on the quality of their dish. And so we took uh, some of our campers who are either culminating, which means it's their last year and they've gone through a specific process around like being intentional about camp uh, or for just whom that they're aging out of camp. Uh, we put them on two teams. We gave them a set of ingredients uh, that included tahini, lemon juice, beets and or carrots. Uh, and there was one more ingredient. And we said, make a dessert in 30 minutes. Uh, and then we set everyone else around them uh, and so they were kind of on stage and they each created a dessert. I was one of the judges. It was a fantastic event. Everyone enjoyed it. Uh, there was much uh, cheering and sadness uh, to the group that was not able to come up with a delicious dessert. Uh, with tahini and beets? What was so yes. hard? Well, th this is an aside and maybe just personal bias, but like it was beets and or carrots. Uh, and they both chose beets, which I think is a terrible choice. <laughs> uh, and our kitchen coordinator, Franny, actually created a dessert using the same ingredients. She chose to use carrots, and her dessert was delicious. <laughs> nice pitch. Yeah. What was the other wild card night? The other wild card night at Oregon 2 was karaoke slash hike night. And so some of us uh, took a hike up to Vista Point, which is uh, it's it's up a small mountain uh, and it kind of opens up and gives you this incredible view of everything around you. We're in rural Oregon where there's not a whole lot of light pollution. And so we got up there and just saw like a tapestry of stars, uh, you know, looking out forever in front of us. Uh, and, you know, we're able to see like the single car that was driving down the road, uh, like, you know, ant size miniature below us and just had this like kind of incredible experience of being up there at night. Uh, and then the rest of the group who weren't choosing to do the hike, well, some people were probably doing whatever they want because, again, it's non-mandatory. But, but a lot of the rest of the group were doing karaoke night in the lodge, which ended up lasting 
throughout the hike and then continued for like an hour after the group that went on the hike got back because people were so into just like rocking out to some karaoke tunes. Uh, so that was definitely a highlight as well. Uh, and neither of those were thought of or conceived of before the session started. No, no. And they probably won't be done again, uh, at least for several years. They're like, it's kind of fun because they are one-offs uh, and usually not repeated. Uh, like there's like this kind of culture of like, oh, like, you know, we were here when this legendary event took place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like everyone's like, oh, will we ever bring that back? And sometimes we do, but like it's it's pretty much like once a generation of campers uh, that you'll see one of these events, which is kind of cool. There's like mm-hmm. there's something new and novel every year. Mm-hmm. So you just finished directing Vermont. 2018. How do you feel today, Matt, just viscerally? (laughs) Uh, Well, camp, this is what I tell campers too. Uh, Camp is like designed as a peak experience. Like everyone's kind of on for all of camp. Uh, And that's especially true of like uh, the staff is like, we're, we're just thinking a lot about a whole lot of things, how to support people, how to make sure that, uh, that, that everything is running smoothly and on time and people are fed and everything. Uh, but also just like trying to like behave like in a really sweet and nice way and like have like lots of connective conversations and, um, and, and it just like, it just takes a lot out of you. Uh, and so the thing that I tell campers in the last day is like, this is a peak experience. Don't try to make your life always like this because you can't be around you know, 70 to 150 people, uh, every day of your life, uh, and be like, you know, interacting in this way that is like pretty intense where you're just constantly going from one thing to the next and learning all of these things and changing and growing. Uh, and, uh, so don't like beat yourself up if your life gets slower when you get home. Uh, and so like, I'm in that moment where I'm just like taking a huge breath of relief, sleeping a whole lot last night and, uh, just like, preparing myself to go back into like normal life, which is a little less exciting and fast moving, uh, but definitely more relaxing. Hmm. What are some of your favorite memories from this year at camp? Cause you worked all three sessions of camp yep. and you directed uh, Oregon session two in Vermont. And so from any of those sessions, what really stands out this year? Yeah. Uh, well, we, at Oregon, we had a couple of campers who are like touring musicians uh, and they're like, you know, semi-professional. Uh, and we didn't know this going into camp. Like they didn't like write on their application, hey, we're professional musicians, probably because they have some humility around that fact. Uh, <laughs> but on day six, when we had the talent show, so six days into camp, no one's heard them like sing or play their instruments. And they like uh, they played three original songs that they had written and they were just like incredible. They whipped out a mandolin solo, uh, and were harmonizing and, uh, it was just awesome. It was like, Whoa, like I had no idea. Like we had like, you know, this level of like skill and talent, uh, in our midst. Uh, they got a standing ovation, which has never happened before. Uh, and it was just like, yeah, it was just this fantastic, uh, event, uh, that took place. Um, at Vermont, like I said before, we always have the milk crates. And one of the things that happens every year is uh, it's tradition to try to stack a crate tower of like single milk crate on top of single milk crate on top, on top of single milk crate. Uh, the record is 25 crates straight up and down. 
And it always involves like designing elaborate like contraptions, including like building towers around the tower so people can stand on to lift up the tower to put more blocks in there. Uh, and we spent uh, an hour like formally trying to break the record of 25 this year. And uh, there were two groups doing it of like six to 10 campers each, and they each hit 25 and then the tower fell over. We have some great slow-mo video of it, uh, but it's just like kind of a delightful event and like totally unique to camp as far as I know. Um, I, I feel like we should get the Guinness people out here uh, to like <laughs> check on our towers, yeah. but um, yeah, it's, it's great every year and it's just something that people enjoy. I think there's a natural limit of 25 to the number of milk crates that can be stacked. It's just I, I one think, of those, those laws of the universe. Yeah, I think that's possible. I think that's, that's possible and that's likely. But we'll never break 25 no matter what, how much we try. <laughs> it's like folding a piece of paper more than seven times. So right, I right. think you, you can do it. <laughs> so I want to know about the day-to-day -day life of the director, the session director of Not Back to School Camp. Like, what are you actually doing? I feel like this is this almost mythical position where yeah. you are looked to for guidance and inspiration and to be a calming presence at the group meetings each day, each day but also to be authoritative. Like if mm -hmm. somebody is, is pushing the rules at camp, then you have to be the one who deals with that. Yep. If, you know, in the, the, the few and far between occasions where someone has to go home, you're the yep. one who has to do that. And so what is what actually constitutes your life as the camp director? Yeah, uh, I would say... The first thing I do every morning is I prep for the morning meeting that we're going to lead that day. Uh, and the morning meeting topics, there are some that like need to get hit like throughout the session of camp. Um, just like talking about like loneliness on the first couple days uh, and letting new campers know that they are not alone in experiencing loneliness because it's super common. Um, and then talking about like you know, towards the end of the session, talking about coming back as an older camper, because we do have a process for people to either become junior staffers or to continue to come to camp if they feel like there's there's something that they need to get out of it uh, that would require them to come back as a 19-year-old. Um, so there's like kind of basic like announcements that get made. And then most of what happens during the morning meeting is like somewhat spontaneous and specific to the session. And so just like recapping what I've learned in the past 24 hours and what, you know, might need to be said, some course corrections, like culturally that we need to like work on, uh, like, uh, are we exploring off site in a way that's like annoying the site staff? Uh, you know, it's like an announcement that I might make to everybody. Um, and so just getting prepared for that, for that meeting. I also, we always open with a quote for the morning and evening meetings. So getting prepared with that. Uh, and we also have like a song at every morning meeting. So checking in with the leader of the song and making sure that we're all set for that. Um, and then I'll like eat breakfast and do the thing. Uh, and then like the, my morning is like, uh, just thinking about like, basically if there are anything that, that needs to be addressed, uh, with an individual, uh, sometimes I'll just do like a follow up, uh, just like out of concern to see how somebody's doing. Sometimes, like you mentioned, there'll be some kind of disciplinary situation where somebody needs to like be told that, uh, what they're doing isn't working for someone else or what they're doing isn't working for camp. Uh, and so thinking about how to deal with all of those things, uh, is how I like spend my morning and my afternoon. Um, and also like, like most days there's a fair amount of just like trying to hang out and connect with campers. Like a goal of mine every day is to like sit down with each individual camper and like learn something about them and try to have a brief connective conversation because 
Uh, I want to have a connection with every single camper that's at a specific site of camp. Uh, one, because like they're interesting people generally, and I want to get to know them. And, uh, and I think that that's like what camp is all about for, for me and a lot of the staff is like getting to know and make connections with all these wonderful campers that we have. Uh, and then two, because if I do need to have a conversation, uh, either like that's a disciplinary conversation where somebody's doing the wrong thing and I need to like talk to them about that or like a supportive conversation where somebody is like having a hard time in some way or needs some help. Uh, like I like to be able to have some like social currency with that camper already, uh, because I have developed some relationship and some trust with them. And so, um, so I try to try to make time for like camper conversations. Um, and then we have our evening meeting. We have, uh, before our evening meeting, we have staff meeting every day over dinner, uh, in which we talk about what's going on. We get the perspectives from all of the staffers, uh, and kind of get like a, a whole view of camp, um, with everyone's input. Uh, and we talk about any campers that need some support from us or anything that like we're, we're worried about as a staff, uh, and kind of like that, like sets my agenda for the next day is what happens at that staff meeting or what I hear. Um, and also part of it is like supporting staff too, because, uh, our staff have an intense and tough job. Sometimes it's also a really joyful and fun job. Uh, but like supporting each other is, is a big part of that meeting too. Uh, and then we've got the evening meeting, evening event. I'm usually not in charge of running a whole lot of things during camp in terms of like events and stuff, because we have camper committees and other staff involved. Uh, and so a lot of it is just like showing up and like, being visible as like part of like the community, just like everyone else. What time do you usually go to bed? <laughs> uh, it varies widely. I tried to get to bed before midnight, almost every night of uh, this year's camp. Uh, so we had a season of camp that spanned probably something like 28 or 30 days. Uh, and I went to bed before midnight on about 25 of those days, I went to bed like between midnight and one uh, on like a couple of those days. And then I think two days I stayed up past 2 a.m., uh, mostly like last nights of camp uh, and just like dealing with, with something one day, this, this session of camp. But traditionally, I try to get, get to bed before midnight and sometimes I'll go to bed as early as like 10, which is wonderful. Oh, that sounds like a dream. Yes. <laughs> and when are you getting up? When does your day start? Uh, I usually get up, we have wake up calls at nine for the campers. And so, uh, and that's optional again, like most things, uh, but breakfast is at nine 30 for the campers, So most of them get up and I try to get up around eight 30, uh, or eight. If I know that like I, I need to prepare something for the agenda the next day, that's going to take me some time. Um, mostly because I want to beat the rush to like the showers, uh, and just have a little bit of a jump on, on the day. 12 to 8. That's a full night's sleep. This sounds pretty posh, Matt. Yes. No, it's wonderful. It's <laughs> How many campers um, are commanded to give you foot rubs each day? How big is the team? Uh, it depends on the session uh, and the quality of foot rubs, uh, but I usually demand at least three. Yeah, that seems like a, a reasonable minimum for... Yeah. Uh, foot massage. Moving yeah. along quickly, uh, <laughs> of all these different things that you do at camp, what do you find the most personally rewarding and which is the most, I don't know, draining or challenging or the least sexy part <laughs> of your job? And let's just talk about while you're yeah. at camp, not pre-camp or after camp stuff. Yeah. Um, personally rewarding. I mean, 
this is going to sound cheesy, but just like we had a camper who on the last day of camp, she's like getting her stuff. This is Vermont. So this happened like three days ago. She's getting her stuff up from down at, uh, down at the cabin and she's walking with her mom and she comes up to me and she's like, this was like the best week of my life. Uh, and she said that in front of me, she said that in front of her mom. It was just like, I mean, just like that kind of feedback of like, wow, like this was like life changingly amazing for me. Uh, is is really rewarding for sure uh and we also have like you know people regularly say like oh like i got a new perspective from camp or like oh this was really like like i i have never like been able to talk about something that i'm talking about at camp um so that kind of thing is definitely super rewarding uh it's also like really rewarding to see campers uh come back on staff uh several years later we have a lot of like most of our staff is comprised of former campers. And so, um, yeah, just to, just to continue those relationships and see them grow, uh, is really rewarding for me personally. Uh, as far as like tough or draining, I think, uh, dealing with like disciplinary issues, uh, is, is super draining. Uh, I had to ask a couple of campers to leave, uh, at one of the sessions that I directed in a previous year. Uh, and that's always tough. Um, uh, it's never like, <laughs> yeah, it's never fun to send somebody home. It's never fun to have those conversations. Uh, so that's definitely the most draining. Hmm. Who are the kids who show up at not back to school camp? I'm wondering how you respond to this question. Cause I often mm-hmm. do, but you know, what is the demographic that we serve at not back to school camp? Uh, well, uh, it is, uh, definitely, a mix. Um, we have uh, we have a wide variety of socioeconomic status. Uh, we have like uh, definitely like a solid crew of people that like uh, that that are very well off. We definitely have a solid crew of people for whom it's a real struggle to pay for camp. Uh, and we do offer like work trades, uh, and we offer uh, scholarships for people of color, um, which is something that's new for us this year. Um, uh, so we have, we have a wide range of socioeconomic status. Uh, we also have, uh, we have a major component of our camp, uh, community are like part of the LGBT community. Um, we have a lot of like gender non-binary and trans campers as well as like lots of, uh, gay and lesbian campers. Um, we've been a mostly white community for most of our years. Uh, and that's something that we've been actively working on in the past couple of years, um, through like creating diversity scholarships, but also trying to bring more people of color onto our staff, uh, in a variety of ways. Uh, and so, um, so that those percentages are coming higher. We had about 20% people of color, uh, at our Vermont session, uh, which is our most diverse session, um, which tells you that like, you know, we've been mostly white for a while. And so that's something that we were working on. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what other demographics are no, there? No, that, that's a really great response. Yeah. That was very comprehensive. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Um, going a little bit deeper, what? why do they come to camp? Like, what is the the thing that is unmet or unsolved in their life that, that motivates them to spend mm-hmm. the time and money and, and go through the kind of uncomfortable process of, you know, thrusting yourself into this group of totally new people, you know, going to a, an out 
outdoorsy campsite, especially Vermont, where yeah. my memory is that everything is 90 degree wooden angles. Yep. And, <laughs> and sometimes it's cold there. Yeah. Um, and so what's the main motivation for campers in your experience? Why do they show up? Yeah, well, let me just say the thing that I get asked the most by non homeschoolery, unschoolery types is, or, or even just like people in plot, like I'm like, I work at a summer camp for homeschoolers. And they're like, oh, yeah, to socialize them, that sounds great. That sounds like something that's super needed. Uh, and that is, I don't think, the case for most of our campers. I think it is the case for some of them. Uh, but like a lot of them come from like spaces in which they're already like socialized. Um, so I'd say that's a small percentage of our campers that are looking for like, um, well, socialization, uh, in general, I think is a small percentage of our campers, um, socializing and getting to know our particular group of campers, uh, is a bigger motivation. A lot of people come, like most of the people that come to camp come because they were personally invited by another camper or a staffer, but usually another camper. Uh, and the thing that I hear is, uh, just that they heard that it was like, uh, an impactful experience for other people or that the community was really strong and that they wanted to be a part of that kind of community. Um, and I don't, yeah, I don't really know beyond that. That's, that's what I hear. Hmm. I've heard similar responses and also that you can't find a group of people like this anywhere else. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that it is truly unique because it is kind of a weird niche world, right? Teenage unschoolers or, you know, mm-hmm. highly alternative school students, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, where else are you going to find people yeah. like this on the internet? But, you know, right. Skype, re- Skype connections are only uh, surface level, unfortunately. And it's, uh, is there anything else? Okay. I, I'm realizing yeah. I'm now leading me myself <laughs> into a self-promotional direction here. Okay. But like uh, you grew up, Matt, we, we should yes. talk about you. You, you grew up um, going to a non-traditional high school yes. environment. And so tell me about that just a little bit and tell me about um, what you think, where else you can find a community like not back to school camp? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So I, I went to uh, a democratic uh, school uh, where uh, there was, there were classes offered, but nothing was mandatory basically. Uh, and there was a lot of age mix, mixing. We were K through 12. Um, so that was a pretty positive experience. That school no longer exists, but uh, shout out to Apatinas, anyone who remembers rest in peace. Uh, it was a great experience for me in my last three years of high school. Um, and Oh, Blake Bowles, uh, offers, uh, (laughs) Oh oh my gosh. uh, Some interesting and, uh, and tremendous, uh, trips, uh, for unschoolers. Uh, and I've, I've actually led a couple of, or I've been, I've been a, a leader on a couple of trips and I've led one solo through your company unschool adventures. Um, and then I think like, you know, there, there are a lot of like, uh, it seems like there's kind of a revival of like agile learning centers and Sudbury model schools. Maybe I only think there's a revival because two of them have been founded in Philly in the last like seven or eight years. Uh, there's a, there's a free school in Philly, which is a Sudbury model school and an agile learning center. Uh, and I think those are really great resources. I also think like homeschooling groups are great resources, uh, um, there, oh, oh, and Grace Llewellyn is, is starting, a, uh, is starting a, a, a homeschool resource center as well in Eugene. Uh, shout out to the Hive. Check it out. Um, yeah, so I think that there, are, there are a number of these kind of resources 
for homeschoolers and unschoolers. And I think that camp is a slightly different animal in that like uh, those are mostly set up to be like a long-term like community that you can be a part of uh, that like, um, and camp is, is meant to be this like experience that like it, it is being part of a community, but it's also like um, getting really into like the midst of what it means to be part of a community, uh, like intense amounts of like uh, community time and community bonding and, uh, and just like sharing and being vulnerable, uh, in this really, uh, quick way that happens over eight days to two weeks. Uh, and I think that like that particular thing where you like just get kind of blasted into community at an accelerated rate, uh, is not something that necessarily, uh, maybe on the unschool adventures trips, uh, cause those are also like kind of brief experiences, but the, the other like resources are more like long-term, and so they don't like uh, do that like accelerated uh, community building thing mm -hmm. that camp mm -hmm. does that I think is really valuable for people. And that I think is why like uh, is why camp feels like such a like unique experience because like you like you come home from camp and you're kind of like, whoa, what just happened? Like I feel so connected to this entire community that I really just barely met. Like it was it was eight days ago. It wasn't very long ago. Uh, and, and people feel like they've made like these connections that are going to serve them for many years to come. Again, well said. You've, you've been doing this for a while, Matt. <laughs> uh, what, about, <laughs> what about those teenagers who feel really intimidated by the idea of being thrown into you know, the deep end in terms of mm -hmm. community and socializing, and they you know, are kind of happy being a little bit more of a homebody, but, but mm -hmm. they crave new connections. And uh -huh. So they're, they're wavering. They're thinking, is this not back to school camp, the kind of place for me? Am I going to be overwhelmed and just want to go home? Yeah. Like, I, I know that you deal with this. And so what, what have yeah. you seen and how do campers deal with this? Um, well, I'll say this, you will feel overwhelmed and want to go home in the first couple of days. Maybe not everybody, but most people do like that's part of camp is like, we talk to a lot of campers um, even returning campers who in the first couple days um, at some point feel homesick or feel like, Ooh, I might want to go home. Uh, and I actually talk with a lot. I talk with every camper uh, when I'm directing a session who like expresses an interest in going home. And, um, and if they want to go home, they go home. We do have occasional campers that just choose to go home. Um, like, you know, one or two a season uh, choose to go home. And also the vast, vast majority of campers, who go through that period of like thinking, Hey, I want to go home and end up staying at the end of the week. They say, wow, like, I'm so glad that I stayed. Uh, and, um, so I will say like, just, just like by the circumstance of putting yourself in a position where you're going to be in a communal living space, you're going to be sleeping in a communal dorm space. Uh, you're going to be interacting with all these people. There's not going to be as much privacy as home. Like it's going to be uncomfortable for most people, adults, adults, teenagers, anyone, especially if you're kind of a homebody who like hasn't done that thing a whole lot where you get out into the world. Uh, and also like besides those circumstances, which like most people get used to fairly quickly, uh, they take a couple days. Uh, you're not going to be forced into doing anything that you don't want to do. Like that's something that is really important about camp is that like, we don't force anything. Like I said, like almost everything is, uh, is optional. Uh, and if you don't want to do any particular thing, there's usually a group, uh, a small group of people who probably 
are the people that you're going to connect with anyways because they feel the same way as you where they're like a little bit reticent or a little unsure yet that they want to like throw themselves into uh, some of these evening events uh, that can be intense. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I just say that, 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 that is, that is a totally valid way to go through camp. Uh, and we support that and you'll be supported by the staff in making those choices for yourself and by the other campers, uh, who are also making those choices. And so, um, there's not a whole lot of like, uh, yeah, like, like mandatory community building. It just kind of happens because there's not a whole lot of judgment about choices that you're making. And there are going to be other people that are going to be making the same choices as you. And so, uh, so you'll have support around that. And in that you'll have community building. Uh, so everybody wins, right? Yeah, I, I think that the popular image of summer camps in our culture uh, can make a young person feel like they are going to be forced into socializing or playing yeah, these yeah. <laughs> these awkward games with everyone else. And, and you know, that does happen at the very first opening circle where yeah. we play a few very brief icebreaker type games, but yes. then it's over within <laughs> about 10 minutes. Yeah. And and after that, there are no other games or getting to know you activities, or you have to have this conversation with someone that's required. Mm-hmm. I'm, that, that hasn't changed, right? Right. There's lots of optional stuff that, that ranges from like silly to like uh, seriously conversing about things. Um, but there's nothing else that's going to be mandatory other than like everyone's going to be part of an advisory group with 10 or so people and mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes those advisory groups uh, will do things like play games or um, it's but those advisory groups are again they're a small group and uh, your advisors part of their job is to like kind of take the temperature of the group and see what works for people and what doesn't work for people and even in advisory group uh, often you know like if we're playing a silly game on one of the days of camp and there's a couple people that want to sit out and not play the game and just observe like that's totally fine uh, and. Again, you're not going to be judged for that. You're not going to be forced to participate in something that you don't want to do. Unless you're in Nathan Lester's advice group, in which <laughs> case, good luck to you. <laughs> I, uh, well, Nathan Lester does not, uh, doesn't really play uh, the silly games. Nathan Lester's advice group more or less talks about themselves uh, for most of the time. Uh, <laughs> you're right, you're right. Otherwise, he would force delightful. them into playing games. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Nathan Lester, former podcast guest. <laughs> How does the staff at Not Back to School Camp differ from other summer camp staff? Yeah, uh, it differs pretty dramatically, uh, at least in my opinion. I, I don't know if there are other staff. There are other summer camps that do their staff this way. If there are, they they must be few and far between because because um, it requires a lot of effort and devotion on part on the part of the staff. Um, and what I mean by that is that like my experience with summer camps, uh, is that mostly, uh, there's like a director, uh, and maybe one or two other like higher ups that have like been around for a while. And then most of the staff is like whoever's home from like college break, uh, and, or like, uh, whoever recently like graduated from the camp or, or aged out of the camp. Uh, and our staff, uh, is, uh, at least 50% of most sessions, have like staff that have been around for like six plus years. Uh, and we have many, many staffers that have been around for like 10 plus years of camp. Uh, and that just, I, I think creates like a continuity and like a level of experience and expertise, uh, when 
like thinking about how to support campers or like leading games for campers or leading events or just like uh, just all, all things uh, that camp does like are done by this group of people that like has been doing this for many, many years uh, and uh, like, yeah, and, and are getting a lot out of it ourselves, which is why we keep coming back. Um, it's like uh, our staffers, like, yeah, they're just, they're just experts in ways that like most summer camp staffers aren't and therefore like are able to like deal with situations and like make connections that I think other summer camp staff could not. Uh, and that's not everybody on staff. We always have junior staffers who are usually recent, recently campers uh, themselves. And we always are looking to hire like a next kind of group of staffers. And so um, for my first few years, there was a, a I, I started when I was 20 and there were a number of staffers that were like roughly my age uh, that came for many, many years. Uh, and like our average age like went up. And then, you know, recently we've been, we've, we've brought in like a whole bunch of like young 20, 20 ish year old staff uh, that are kind of like the next kind of generation of, of staff that have now been coming for two or three years and are still like in their, in their early twenties. Uh, I'm 30 right now, just if you don't know. Uh, um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and we always have staff that are also like, you know, like I can't remember the last session that we didn't have somebody who was 40 plus or 50 plus years old, at least one person, uh, usually a couple people. And so we have a really wide age range of staff and like the majority of our staff are like, um, people that are like, if they went to college, they're in their post-college years, uh, and yeah, just have a lot of, a lot of knowledge about camp and the way that it runs. So in summary, a diversity of staff, including diversity of ages and a lot of experience staff mm -hmm. who have come back year after year, not just a rotating cast of college students. Yes. Yeah. And you're making me realize what, what makes, what enables that at camp is the fact that you're only committing to one week or two weeks yeah. at a time. And, and the same, a lot of people say like, oh, you're staffing at not back to school camp. So you're going to be in Vermont. And I'm like, no, I'm just working one organ session this mm -hmm. year that the staff is often completely different yes. um, between sessions. Yeah. Um, and so I know for me personally, the fact that I've only had to commit to working one or two weeks uh, each year has made it possible for me to come back and work year after year yeah. in a way that working a full, you know, nine to 10 week summer camp season was no longer possible after my mid twenties because I wanted to, to have that time free to do other stuff. I still wanted to be connected to the internet. Um, you know, it, it was harder to, to be in a totally all inclusive um, summer camp environment for so long. Yes, that's definitely the case. Um, and also like, there is uh, the, the staff pay for people that have been around for a long time is better than a traditional summer camp would pay its staffers. Uh, and that helps people to like make it worthwhile financially to like take some time off work. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I, I just think that, that the community of staff members of not back to school camp is really strong. And it is one of the things that every single year we get feedback from campers uh, that they label as like one of the best and most uh, uh, best and most essential aspects of camp is the staff and like the the way that like the staff feel like a community and staff feel very approachable uh, and um, and that's true like amongst the staff as well like we feel very much like a community uh, that is ever changing um, but also like has kind of a cohesive culture 
uh, an identity uh, that feels really positive. Yeah, agreed. Um, you are one of those people who show up for pretty much every session, Matt. Like, yes. <laughs> you have a fairly consistent track record of working all sessions of camp. Uh, and how long have you been working at camp? Yeah, so I started camp in 2008. I was hired as a junior staffer uh, at the first session of the year that week, which was Oregon session one. Uh, and I volunteered for the next couple sessions because I was pretty inspired and interested in continuing uh, on as a staff member at camp. And I also thought uh, that perhaps that would endear me to those who were doing the hiring in the, the next year uh, and allow me to like come back uh, as a senior staffer the following year, uh, which it did. And I have not missed a session since then. So I've, this is 11 years wow. of, uh, of going to every session of camp. Oh my gosh. Well done. <laughs> Thank Just, you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought you must have missed one session in there. I have, I have not missed a session at this uh, point. Flawless. Yeah. Flawless victory. Uh, so what was your role your first year or many years at camp? Yeah. So my first year at camp, uh, I was the logistics junior staffer, which is uh, someone who reports to the position that we call the logistics goddess. Uh, and um, a big part of my role was keeping everything running on time, so ringing the bells at the correct time so that everyone knew that the next workshop was beginning. Uh, and then also just like doing all of the little things that, uh, that, that help camp to run, like putting up signs that say no shoes in this place or um, making sure that like items appear in the right place for the next event that needs those particular items. Um, and yeah, just basically being like a support person for the rest of the staff when it comes to like the physical space around camp. And then you quickly upgraded to logistics goddess. Correct. Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that was my primary role for, uh, so between logistics, uh, junior staffer and logistics goddess, those were my primary roles for my first nine years on staff. Uh, but I also took on some auxiliary roles. Um, I've been an advisor, uh, meaning leading like a small group of campers, uh, in a daily, uh, thing, which might be games or hanging out or talking or whatever, but it's, it's leading a small group and kind of being their advocate and looking out for like that particular group of 10 to 13 campers, uh, and thinking about them specifically. Um, I've also been, uh, the dish person at camp. I've like done all the dishes slash coordinated people doing the dishes, I've been the night owl, uh, which is the person that stays up late uh, and makes sure, because we don't have a bedtime either, uh, we have a person who stays up late and makes sure that everyone's doing okay and also like closes down the buildings at a certain time. Um, I have been uh, the, uh, the health person at staff, or at camp, uh, which is a new role for me this year at our first session. Uh, I did health stuff, um, handing out meds, et cetera. Um, Maybe the question I need yeah. to be asking is, what have you not done at camp? Have you been in the in the kitchen? Have you cooked? I have never cooked at camp. Mm, okay. New frontiers. Yeah. Anything else? What other roles are left? I think that's it. I, I think I just haven't cooked. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll see you in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, great. I want to uh, wrap this up and I want to ask in your long time, your 11 years of working mm -hmm. every single session of camp, how have you seen not back to school camp evolve 
both in terms of camper culture, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe things that are done on staff, new activities or policies that have been introduced. When you think back to 2008, when you started and and now what, what stands out? Yeah, so major changes uh, in, I think in 2008, uh, we probably had some campers that like had come out as gay or lesbian. I'm sure we did. Uh, But like uh, we didn't have any trans campers or gender non-binary campers. uh, And um, so that's something that we uh, did a lot of work around, like um, creating a comfortable situation for them, uh, including like creating like uh, non-gendered cabins that people could choose to sleep in, uh, and just like kind of building infrastructure around, like we have a pronouns list on the wall and, uh, we ask people their pronouns regularly and we have a discussion group for gender non-binary, uh, folks or trans folks, uh, or, um, just people who, yeah, people who identify as gender queer as an overall like umbrella term for them. Um, as well as like inviting trans folks to participate in discussion groups that we have, um, men's groups and women's groups. Uh, we invite trans, trans men and trans women into those discussions now. Um, and so like now we have like a, a, a big population of like gender queer kids. Um, also just thinking about like sexuality and the way that it expresses itself at camp. Um, that was one thing that we noticed, like a lot of like kind of negative cultural messages that are like present in movies and television, et cetera. Um, we're like kind of invading camp culture as well. Uh, and so we created a panel, uh, a staff healthy relationships and sexuality panel, which we run at every session, which is totally optional, but it's, uh, the staff not trying to be like professional sexologists or knowing the exact percentage of each birth control method, but, um, talking about like things that have happened in their lives, uh, around healthy relationships and sexuality that uh, either went really well because they had really positive guidance from the people around them or like went poorly in a way that like they wished that they had gotten better guidance or advice uh, around sex and relationships uh, from an adult maybe uh, that they didn't have and what they would have told themselves. Uh, And it's also an opportunity for our campers to ask any questions that they might have about healthy relationships and sexuality. Um, And so that's, that's been really positive in terms of our culture uh, and kind of the, the thing that we are hoping to push uh, in the next couple of years and have been working on for the past couple of years is um, trying to become more racially inclusive, uh, including like incentivizing people of color to join our staff um, by like eliminating some of the lower tiers of pay that would typically be what you would be paid in your first year of camp, um, specifically for people of color who are coming onto our staff uh, and creating uh, scholarships uh, that are only available to people of color to come to camp uh, if they have uh, a financial situation that wouldn't allow them otherwise to come to camp um, to make that possible uh, specifically for campers of color. Um, and we have a couple of other things in place, including like uh, a person of color liaison uh, as a staff role, uh, like somebody specifically to talk to if you're having issues around your racial identity at camp, uh, and you want to talk to someone else who isn't white uh, about those issues. Um, that's a position that we've had for the first time ever at our second session of Oregon this year and at a Vermont session, uh, and that created a really like comfortable and safe space for uh, the people of color that we did have at camp. Um, yeah, those are like kind of some of the major changes that have taken place. A lot about like uh, 
basically about identities and, and about sexuality uh, are, are things that we think a whole lot about because those are things that I think teenagers are thinking a whole lot about uh, and that it's really useful to like have like a safe place to talk about all those things with adults who care and are like well-versed on those kinds of issues. Uh, and so like uh, being intentional about identity stuff has been a major change in camp. I would say the biggest change if I had to mm -hmm. sum it up in like one topic. Mm -hmm. Okay. For uh, all the campers out there listening who might know you already, uh, here's a question, Matt. Yeah. What do you do in the rest of your life? Like, <laughs> What begins now, now that Camp Matt has ended? And you, what are you doing for the next 10 months? Yeah, uh, well, I just got married last May. Uh, and Woo! thank you. Uh, and my wife is, uh, is a doctor. She just graduated from medical school. And so she is now a resident uh, in at Cincinnati uh, University of Cincinnati and Cincinnati Children's. She's doing a dual specialty called MedPeds, which is internal medicine for both adults and children. Uh, and so I now live in Cincinnati. All of a sudden, I'm from Philadelphia, uh, and um, I live actually just outside Cincinnati. And uh, I am looking for a gig. And what I thought that would be is like something to do with working with youth in some way. In previous years, I've been a coordinator for a middle school program uh, outside of Philadelphia that like ran weekend programs for middle school Quakers. Um, and uh, so I thought I might look into something like that. Um, but I actually found one of Helen's co-residents fiancés is like a handyman uh, slash like home remodeler. And so uh, that is what I've been doing recently because it's been fun to like build some community with him and I've been learning all these new skills that I never learned before, uh, including like how to like move a wall if I don't like where a wall is in my house or move an outlet or uh, tile the floor of a hotel, uh, which is something that we did. Uh, and so I'm a little bit unsure what I'm going to be doing because I've been really enjoying this kind of work uh, and um I think it's useful to me and probably will continue to be useful to me as long as I live in a house, uh, which I hope, <laughs> which you <laughs> will hope continue. will happen. <laughs> I hope so too. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'll live in a boat one year. Uh, <laughs> Fair point. Uh, but um, yeah, so, so it, it's a little bit unsure. Uh, what I do know is that like, I will be looking to try to create some community around the things that I enjoy, uh, which is a lot of like playing games uh, and, um, and working with youth. Uh, and so I'll be looking for opportunities to get involved in the local community around those things. Um, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit up in the air right now. We just moved here and we are just figuring it out. For anyone who wants to learn more about not about to school camp or get involved as a camper or get involved as a staff, can you tell them where to go and when to yes. go and, and make this, these investigations? Yes, uh, our website is nbtsc.org, uh, and um, we will start hiring. Uh, I believe the best way to uh, to get on staff is to click on the links to our website. Uh, there's like a join link, uh, and uh, basically you'll you'll end up emailing Grace Llewellyn, uh, who will uh, then ask you about it. Uh, if you do choose to email her. Uh, please like include why you think you would be a good member of our staff. We do get emails from people that are just like, I'm an adult. You would want me, right? Uh, and like, that's not necessarily the case because we do have like a pretty highly qualified staff, uh, which is not to say that you shouldn't apply because we always love new staff members. Um, but 
if you are applying, like think of it like uh, like applying for any other job and let us know like why you think you would be a positive member of our community and why you might be able to contribute. Uh, and um, we have junior staff applications open mid-January and due by February 1st. Uh, and then our, uh, our camper registration will open in February as well. Uh, and um, there's an early registration deadline that'll save you a hundred bucks uh, that I don't know off the top of my head, but it's like, it's like later in the year before summer. Uh, maybe we should cut this and just, you should tell us. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going to keep this. Let's get uh, your act together in February or March to sign up for a session in <laughs> August or September. Uh, you put me on the spot. Oh uh, <laughs> gosh. Yeah. You, you nailed all the other ones, Matt. And all right. Then- just the, the early application deadline. That's it's okay. We'll trash this whole interview. Great. Great. All right, <laughs> Matt, thanks so much for taking the time. Sure. No problem. Thanks Blake.